Episode 10, The Peloponnesian Wars. Hi, my name is Clayton Mills. Welcome to A Short Walk Through Our Long History, a podcast where we look at the events of history and try to see how those events shaped our modern world. This is Episode 10, The Peloponnesian Wars. The Golden Age of Greece, which we focused on last episode, lasted from around 528 BC to about 323 BC, and it was a time of great prosperity all across Greece. And that very prosperity brought about some intercity rivalries as the city-states of Greece competed for their share, or more than their share, of the riches. And when I say rivalry, what I actually mean is some fairly long, brutal, bloody battles. It wasn't just a political or economic rivalry, it was armies in the field, capturing each other's cities, destroying cities, destroying crops and farmland, and taking over each other's territories. The two main cities in this war, of course, were Athens and Sparta, but the other cities of Greece were basically forced to choose sides. Fighting took place all over Greece, hence the name of the war, the Peloponnesian Wars. The Peloponnese is the name of the lower part of the Greek peninsula, the part that Sparta is actually on. Athens is on a different peninsula, the Attic Peninsula, and that's located just across a narrow isthmus just to the northeast of the Peloponnese. So the city of Corinth sits right on this isthmus. Look it up on a map for goodness sake. It's much easier to see it than it is for me to describe it in a podcast. Anyway, Athens and Sparta are only about 150 miles apart by land, so it's not that surprising that they were rivals. It's interesting that during what is called the Golden Age of Greece, there was this really intense set of battles going on between the leading cities. It's still the Golden Age, and there's still great art and philosophy and historical writing and literature being created, but there's also a lot of fighting. Part of that is because even though there was a lot of fighting, for most of the war, Athens itself wasn't really threatened. The armies were off fighting somewhere else. I say most of the war, though, because in the end, it does go pretty poorly for Athens. And yes, that was a major interruption in the plays and philosophy and art, but not a complete stop. You know, the Spartans are assaulting the walls of Athens, but stuff is still being written in Athens. It's it's kind of amazing that it kept going. Oh, and there was a plague too, right? But it's still the golden age, so hey, it's all good. Well, we need to ask the question, Why are the Peloponnesian Wars important enough to spend a whole episode on them? They weren't really that large of a scale of a thing, but they're very important. For one reason, there's the fact that Athens was basically destroyed at the end. That's kind of big. And for another, the Peloponnesian Wars basically marked the beginning of the end of Greek city-states. Because after the wars are over, a weakened Greece is conquered by Macedonia, and it's rolled up into the kingdom of Philip of Macedon, and you don't have these independent Greek city-states anymore after that. Another reason it's worth talking about is that Thucydides wrote an excellent history of the wars, and it's his historical work that we rely on for much of the descriptions of these wars. His work is even better than Herodotus's work on the Persian Wars. Thucydides himself was a participant in the wars, and he lived through the siege and the plague in Athens, um, and his work is even more timely and accurate. Speaking of the Persian Wars, Greece's victory over Persia is what sowed the seeds of the Peloponnesian Wars. During the war, 
the independent Greek city-states had joined together in what was called the Hellenic League, which is a kind of a loose treaty in which all the cities that agreed to join, they would send soldiers in exchange for which that city would be protected by the Hellenic army. You didn't have to join, but if not, it was just your little city against Xerxes and a million Persians. Hmm, what should we do? After the Persian Wars, Persia never again threatened the Greek mainland because the Hellenic League managed to defend it. But Persia itself wasn't defeated as a country, and Persia still controlled all of Ionia. That's also called Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey. It's where Troy was located. The Persians had captured Byzantium, a Greek city, uh, and some of the Hellenic League, including Athens, wanted to take it back. The Spartans, however, proposed that they all just leave Asia Minor and go home and leave Asia Minor in the hands of the Persians. Athens strongly objected to this because many of the cities on the coast of Asia Minor were Athenian colonies. Also, Athens itself had been abandoned to the Persians by the Greek land forces and then destroyed by the Persians. So Athens had a bit of an axe to grind here. The Athenians managed to convince most of the rest of the Hellenic League to join them in liberating Byzantium and the other Greek colonies. So now Sparta was kind of over a barrel. If they just packed up and left, that would leave Athens as clearly in charge of the Hellenic League, which Sparta definitely did not want to happen. Also, the lead general of the Hellenic land forces was a Spartan. So if they left, they would also be leaving the army completely in Athenian hands. So Sparta stayed, and they helped the Hellenic League liberate Byzantium. But that was the last time that Athens and Sparta would work together. So while the army was off fighting in Byzantium, back in Athens, the city was being rebuilt. And one of the things Athens decided to do was not just rebuild the city wall, but to extend the city wall from Athens all the way down to their port city of Piraeus. This is a long way. It's eight miles. And of course, so the walls down from Athens to Piraeus are called the Long Walls. Uh, and the Spartans were not at all happy about this. The Spartans were also not happy with what was going on in the Hellenic army. Um, their commander, Pausanias, had been accused of carrying on secret negotiations with Xerxes. Now, this was probably just a political play, but it was a serious enough accusation that Pausanias was removed as the lead general, and he was replaced by Xanthippus, an Athenian. The Spartans sent a replacement general, but Xanthippus refused to give up command. So the Spartan army finally packed up their bags and their swords and their shields and all that, and they went home. And that was the end of the Hellenic League. Now, we're about to get into a whole series of other leagues with shifting alliances and cities moving from one league to another. It's a bit like the old AFL-NFL days with a bit of the WFL and the USFL thrown in as well. Sorry, millennials, if you don't understand that reference. Anyway, Athens responds to the Spartans leaving the Hellenic League by simply creating a new league, which became known as the Delian League. It was named this because the Greek island of Delos served as the treasury for the entire league at least for a while, until Athens just took the treasury back to Athens for themselves. From the beginning, the League was dominated by its largest and wealthiest member, which was Athens. Well, back in Sparta, not to be outdone, the Spartans formed a League of their own, the Peloponnesian League, made up of basically all the cities on the Peloponnesian Peninsula, and also Corinth, which was, as I said, on the isthmus that connected the peninsula to the rest of Greece. And of course, this League was dominated by the Spartans. 
The Delian League, which had a big, big navy, set about recapturing all the islands that had been captured by the Persians. And of course, all those liberated islands became part of the Delian League too. Not everyone, though, in the Delian League always wanted to do what Athens wanted to do, and so at times Athens was quite forceful and threatening to its own allies. In 460 BC, the Aegean island of Naxos, not to be confused with the Tex-Mex island of Nachos, decided that it had had enough and declared itself out of the League and no longer subject to the League's rules and payments. According to Thucydides, they were forced to rejoin the League after a siege. Doesn't sound like they rejoined of their own will. Athens also used force on several other cities in the League. Thucydides said of them, The Athenians were not the old popular rulers that they had been at first. The beginning of the active fighting between Athens and Sparta came about in 457 BC. Sparta, without an invitation, sent an army into the area of Boeotia, which was part of the Delian League. Their pretext was that they were just passing through on their way to the town of Doris, which was farther north, but the Athenians didn't want them to visit Doris, and so they sent out their own army. The Spartans won the battle. No surprise there. Don't fight the Spartans in a ground battle should be one of the two classic blunders. The two armies skirmished in the area for several years, and though the Spartans often won, they usually just left afterwards and Athens would reclaim the territory. In 446 BC, about 11 years later, Athens proposed a peace with Sparta. The treaty was supposed to be a peace for 30 years, and so it's called the 30 Years Peace, even though it only lasted for 14 years. In 433, a city named Corcyra, which was a Corinthian colony, decided it didn't want to be a colony anymore of Corinth and tried to break away from Corinth, and it asked Athens for help. Now, Corcyra was not technically part of the Peloponnesian League, but still, they were a Corinthian colony, and Corinth was part of that league. And so, when Athens sent ships to help them, it was a threat to the peace. Athenian ships ended up fighting with Corinthian ships, and so the war was on. The Spartan army marched into Athenian territory. Many people of the Attic Peninsula, where Athens is located, retreated into Athens, hoping for safety behind the long walls. But there, they ended up finding something worse. In 430 BC, a terrible plague struck Athens. Crowded with refugees, the city was ripe for an epidemic. The plague, plus continued defeats from the Spartans and their allies, severely weakened Athens. The plague even killed the Athenian leader Pericles. Thucydides, the historian, was in Athens at the time, but he survived, and it's his record of the plague that's our best account of what happened. In his own words, it sounds pretty horrible. So here I'm going to quote Thucydides. Violent heats in the head and redness and inflammation in the eyes. The inward parts, such as the throat or tongue, becoming bloody and emitting an unnatural and fetid breath. Sneezing and hoarseness, after which the pain soon reached the chest and produced a hard cough. The body was reddish, livid, and breaking out into small pustules and ulcers. If they passed this stage, the disease descended further into the bowels, inducing a violent ulceration there accompanied by severe diarrhea. This usually brought on a weakness that was generally fatal. Yuck. No mention of loss of sense of smell, though. It doesn't sound like Athens was the place to be in 430. 
Meanwhile, the Spartans had been building their own navy, and they put it under the command of an admiral named Lysander. Lysander defeated the Athenian navy several times, and in August of 405, the Spartan navy destroyed 171 Athenian ships in a single battle. Lysander set sail for Athens, and when he got there, the Athenians surrendered. Lysander had the long walls completely destroyed, and he set up a puppet government of 30 Athenian aristocrats, who have simply gone down in history as the 30. Nobody liked the 30. They were supported by a garrison of Spartan troops, and the 30 presided over a bloody purge of anyone who hadn't gotten their vaccination. Oh, I mean, sorry, of anyone who had even the slightest leanings towards democracy. They reportedly had thousands of the leading Athenians killed. Eventually, the Athenians asked for help and got it from the Greek city of Thrace, who sent an army there, and they defeated the Spartan garrison, and the Spartans and the 30 all left Athens. But they left Athens in ruins. The Athenians reinstituted their democracy, but they were never again the political or military force that they had been in the previous years. Sparta was also damaged by the wars. They had lost many men, and many of their harvests had been ruined by the soldiers being away from home at harvest time. So supplies were low, and so were the treasuries of the cities. As a result, many of the Spartan and other Peloponnesian League soldiers left to find work outside of Greece. In fact, right at this time, a new king named Cyrus, not, not Cyrus the Great, he was earlier, was rising in Persia, and he sent out a call for soldiers from the Peloponnese, and many answered his call because he could pay them. The combined effect of the weakness of Athens and the exodus of Spartan soldiers left all of the southern part of Greece very vulnerable, and that vulnerability will soon be exploited by Philip of Macedon. But before we get to that story, we need to talk about one of the biggest and most lasting impacts of the Golden Age of Greece. One of the people who survived the plague and all the fighting was a rambling old teacher named Socrates. The next episode, we're going to look at him, his student Plato, and Plato's student Aristotle, who together are easily the most important teacher-student, teacher-student trio in all of history. <music>